but uh, listen, I'm alive. Okay, so we're going to talk about, uh, we are starting this week, the new book of Devarim, which is the fifth of the five books of Moses. Although if you were at our class a few weeks ago, you discovered there are actually seven books of Moses. But that's another discussion. There are five books of Moses, according to what everyone else thinks, if you haven't been to my class. And the fifth one starts tonight, to this Shabbos, the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy. Does anyone know what Deuteronomy is? No, unless you took Latin, you don't know what Deuteronomy means. But uh, it means, it does not mean words. Devarim means words. Deuteronomy means the second Torah. So why is this called the second Torah? So we have to kind of understand that. it's In Hebrew, it's called Mishnah Torah, which means the repetition of the Torah. Welcome, Joe. So the Devarim means speech, the book of speech. I'm just going to mute you for a few minutes, but you're welcome to ask questions after we get into the flow. Okay. Excellent. Yes. So the book of Devarim means speech. It means words. And I want to ultimately connect the idea of words and speech to the purpose of this book and also tie it into Tisha B'Av, which is coming up on Sunday, which is the fast day, starts Saturday night. And it's a day when we also don't engage in, uh, in washing and uh, we don't wear shoes. And it's a day commemorating all of the tragedies that took place throughout Jewish history, starting from the spies talking badly about the land of Israel in the desert and culminating in the destruction of the first and second temple, which took place on around Tisha B'Av, the uh, Bar Chachba uh, massacres, a revolution against the Romans that was suppressed and thousands of Jews were massacred by the Romans all the way down to the Spanish Inquisition, which took place on Tisha B'Av. World War I broke out on Tisha B'Av. The final solution was uh, accepted by Germany on Tisha B'Av. The Warsaw Ghetto was liquidated on Tisha B'Av. And uh, the Jews were actually, uh, were actually kicked out of Gaza the, in 2005, I believe, I was living in Israel at the time, and uh, there were thousands of Jews living in a town called Gush Katif in Gaza. And the Israeli, uh, uh, in order to make peace, the Israeli army forcibly removed thousands of Jews from their homes in Gaza and gave the Gazan territory 100% to the Palestinian people. So anyone says that Gaza's occupied territory is not correct. Gaza was given to the Palestinian people in 2005, but that took place on Tisha B'Av. And as we know that the results of that was a tragedy, not only for Israel with hundreds of thousands of rockets fired every year, but also for the Gazan people who have been living in, in, essentially at, uh, at the mercy of Hamas and are being deprived of their human rights in Gaza. So Tisha B'Av is a really bad day for the Jewish people. What's the connection to this week's Parsha and Tisha B'Av. Okay, so let's start with a question. And the question is as follows. Moshe, Moses, when he is first approached by God to go to Egypt and to be his spokesman and to free the Jews from Egypt, Moshe says, who am I? 
to go and speak to Paro. Lo ish devarim anochi. I am not a man of devarim, which we all know now means words. I'm not a man of words. Ki ki kavid pe va'oral safasayim anochi, because I am heavy of mouth and of sealed lips. And the Talmud explains that Moshe had a speech impediment. Moshe was not a gifted orator. He wasn't good at talking. And one, one of the Midrashim says that as a child, Moshe burned his mouth severely and was unable to speak properly because of that. So the Torah begins our introduction to Moshe, telling us that Moshe is not a speech maker. Comes the book the last book of the Torah, and the book is called Devarim, the book of words. And what is the book of Devarim? Why is the book of Devarim distinct and different from the entire Torah? So the Talmud calls the book of Devarim Mishnah Torah, meaning the second Torah, which is where we get the Latin word Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means do, tuo, the, 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 re, the repeat, take two, the sequel. Why is Deuteronomy considered the sequel to the Torah? Because the Talmud explains the rest of the Torah God dictated to Moshe. And Moshe said over what God told him to say. But the book of Devarim is 100% Moshe's own words, said with divine inspiration, but he was speaking on his own accord. He was not told to speak the book of Devarim. He said it. He was in divinely inspired, but it was his own goodbye speech to the Jewish people. The entire book of Devarim is Moshe's goodbye speech. The Jews are about to enter into the land of Israel, and Moshe is about to pass away, which happens in the last few pages, a few words of the Torah. Moshe dies. So, very interesting. How did Moshe go from being someone who doesn't talk to writing one of the most greatest books? In human history, not only books, speeches, a wor words of incredible poetry. Some of the most beautiful prose and poetry you will ever find in human history. Where does this come from? How does it happen? So let's begin. And I want to share with you uh, an insight I had a few years ago, which explains the whole process of the Torah from beginning to end. So we're going to summarize the whole big picture of the purpose of the Torah, the purpose of the world. Okay? So what does it mean to speak? What is speech all about? What is the purpose of words? To communicate. To communicate what? Great. So speech communicates ideas, thoughts, and feelings that are hidden within your mind and heart. Without the capability of speech, we're disconnected from each other in so many ways. We can connect physically, but we can't really connect emotionally or intellectually without speech. Um, I opened up a, over a few summers ago, I opened up a book, which Joe has read cover to cover, if he's going to show his picture, we can drill him on it, called Sapiens, written by the uh, Israeli anthropologist, I think his name is Noah uh, Harari. And I opened it up and I just read one chapter. 
And the book is about the origins of Homo sapiens and uh, modern human culture, the evolution of human culture. And he said a fascinating thing. He said, where does, uh, where did human beings get that boost to become totally different than the animal kingdom, right? Animals communicate with each other, right? How is it that we build cities and roads and write poetry and philosophy, right? It's, it's a completely different existence. So he says that it's it, the beginning of the formation of modern human beings was the faculty of speech. That animals can communicate only about stuff. Animals can communicate fairly comprehensively that there are lions coming over there. Run. Right? They can, in fact, interpret that there's storms coming or earthquakes coming way before we can. And they can communicate that to each other. They can communicate all sorts of incredible mating rituals. And uh, they have fairly compl complex communication patterns, uh, especially dolphins. and But... There's one thing that they can't do. They don't have the concept of abstract speech. They can't talk about things that aren't things, right? Animals can only talk about stuff, food, danger, water. They can't talk about love, world peace, what happens after we die. That's called abstract thought. So says the book that abstract thought be, is the, gives us the tools to now begin to dominate nature and to begin to go beyond the natural world. It's a very fascinating thing. When I read that, it blew my mind. Okay, I'm gonna share with you two things that blew my mind from books, okay? It blew my mind because what does the Torah say is the most unique faculty of Adam, of Adam, the first human being? Does anyone know? So the Torah says that God made Adam in his image. And he blew into him a breath of life, which is a living soul. He blew into him a spiritual part, the soul. And the one of the most ancient commentaries on the Torah is actually a translation of the Torah into Aramaic. And it's called Targum Unculus. It was translated by someone named Unculus, who was a convert to Judaism, who was Roman. And he translated the entire Torah into ancient Aramaic, including commentaries in those translations. So how does he translate a, 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 a soul, a living soul, right? Nishmas Chaim, a living soul, he translates as Ruach Memalala, which means a speaking spirit. According to this, that unique soul that human beings possess gives us the power of speech. So somehow speech is the most unique faculty of a human being. A fascinating idea. Okay, now I'll share with you another one. How did God create the world? According to the Torah. There's speech. There's speech. And here's another time I fell off my chair reading a uh, secular book. I was reading a book on quantum physics. I still have it. It's been sitting on my shelf for a really, really long time, about eight years now. But every once in a while, I read a few pages. <laughs> and um, for a while, it was consistently. 
And in this book, it's a great book for anyone who's interested in learning about basic quantum physics. It's called The Elegant Universe, I believe. And in this book, he explains that the current understanding, at least when the book was written, of where particles come from and what's the smallest, most primary piece of matter that binds the universe together, right? So many say, you know, we have atoms and inside atoms is something, uh, atoms are made up of neutrons and electrons, am I right? And inside those are something called quarks, packets of energy. And inside quarks is something called strings. It's called string theory. And why are they called strings, Joe? Do you know why? Says this book, because they vibrate. That every little piece of energy in the universe is vibrating in different ways. And that determines what type of atom it is. Whether it's a light particle or I don't even, I don't know anything about this stuff. So I can't tell you what other types of particles there are. But that everything at the most primary basic level is made up of vibrations. And that's when I almost fell off my chair. Why? Speech is a series of vibrations. And according to Kabbalah, uh, the, one of the most ancient books, Kabbalistic texts, is something called Sefer Yitzirah. Sefer Yitzirah, um, according to tradition, was written, I believe, by Avram Avinu, by Abraham. And Sefer Yitzirah goes through different uh, energies of the months of the Hebrew year. And one of the things that it says is that every month of the year corresponds to a letter and um, was created with a different energy. And additionally, the Sefer Yitzirah explains that the building blocks of creation are letters. And those letters form words. And those words form matter. That at the baseline of all existence is letters. Once again, vibrations. So God creates... Sefer Yitzhir, Rabbi Arya Kaplan translated Sefer Yitzhir into English for the very first time. So the Hasidic commentaries explain that what do we mean when we say God spoke? So we could say quantum based on physics that he sent out vibrations of energy into existence. But according to um, Hasidic thought and Jewish mysticism, that's not the simple explanation. Maybe that is the simple explanation, but it's not the, uh, the, the deeper explanation. I don't know what's deep and what's simple anymore. When we're talking about these things, everything's upside down. But um, says the Balatanya, the founder of uh, Chabad Hasidus, that when the Torah says that God spoke, what it really means is the process of going from the hidden mind of God to revelation. Because speech is taking an idea that's hidden inside and bringing it out into expression. So when we say God spoke, God doesn't have a mouth. God didn't speak like we speak. It means God took himself and brought himself out into expression, into tangible existence that we can now relate to God's mind and God's will. Okay, so how did creation begin? Began from nothingness. All there was was God. And then the process of creation was God taking himself and revealing himself to us, 
by hiding himself into a physical universe. So when God hides, we exist. When God hides, he exists in a way that we can connect to him. So the Torah begins in the world of multiplicity, in the world of the speech coming out into existence through the process of speech. And the Talmud explains that God spoke 10 times in the process of creation. The first six days of creation, God, 10 times God said, let there be. Let there be. And if you look in the Torah, it's problematic because I think it actually there are nine times. But not, uh, no, sorry, there are I think 11 times. or But not all of them are let there be's. Sometimes it just says God said, um, let man go and eat all the stuff, the green stuff that's growing. It wasn't an act of creation. It was a commandment. But the Talmud says 10 times God said, let there be. God created 10 times. But then the Talmud asks a question, not my question, because there's actually 11. The Talmud says there are only nine times that God said, let there be, and that that was an act of actual creation. Only nine times, says the Talmud. So the Talmud concludes, no. You know the first time that God said, let there be? It was before there was any creation at all. The very first word of the Torah. Does anyone know what the first word of the Torah is? Bereshis, which means in the beginning. In the beginning. So says the Talmud, when God said Bereshis, that was the first expression of God's speech. Even though it doesn't say, and God said. The reason it doesn't say, and God said, was because before the word Bereshis, there was nothing. Let's look at it as, as follows. Okay, You might have heard this from me before. But um, what letter, if you were writing the Torah, what letter would you start? with Aleph, the first letter of the Torah. Aleph is the numerical value of one. Oneness. Start with the letter one. And the Talmud, uh, the Zohar, does not conclude that the Torah should start with the letter Aleph. And uh, it's very interesting. It says the Zohar goes through and says that every letter came to God and said, let, let me be the first letter of creation. And each one had something negative associated with it. The letter Aleph, God says, can't be the uh, founding letter of the Torah, of creation, because the letter Aleph is also the first letter of the word Arur, which means curse. But Brach, base, the Torah, the Talmud says, comes to God, and base, God says, yes, you can be the first letter of the Torah, because base is also the letter that the word Bracha starts with. Bracha meaning blessing. So that's what the Talmud says. Does anyone have a problem with that? Anyone have a question on that? Is it should be a blaring question. Aleph, no good, because Aleph is associated with the word curse. Base, good, because base is associated with the word blessing. What? One at a time. Does. Torah starts with a bit. So what's the problem? Um, some start baruch, right? We say whenever we make blessings, yeah, we say baruch. We do start with brach with the word baruch, blessing. But 
think about this, okay? Do you think there are any good words that start with Aleph? There certainly are. God, emes, truth, emuna, faith, achdus, oneness, echad, ahava, love. There's a lot of good words that start with Aleph. And what about bad words that start with base? For sure there are bad words that start with base. So says the Maharal of Prague, the great Kabbalist of Prague from uh, the 1600s, I believe, when we visited his shul, the oldest synagogue in the world in continuous use is in Prague. And the Maharal says, no, when the Torah says that the Torah starts with base because of bracha, it's not what you think it means. He says, it's not that the Torah starts with the letter base because bracha starts with the letter base. No. The Torah starts with the letter base for the same reason that the word bracha starts with the letter base. Because what does the word bracha mean? The word bracha means increase. You should have blessing in your life. That means more goodness, more health, more wealth, more children, more love. That's the idea of a bracha. It's increase. And the word bracha literally demonstrates increase. How so? The word bracha is made up of three letters. The root of the word bracha, base, resh, kaf. The numerical value of the letter base is two. Two represents increase in ones, right? One times two is two. The letter kaf, numerical value of the letter kaf is 20. 20 represents increase in tens. And the letter resh, the letter resh, the letter resh in numerical value is 200. Increase in hundreds. So the word barech literally means two, two, 20, 200. Increase. So now we can understand why the Torah begins with the letter base. Because the Torah is the beginning of multiplicity. The Torah represents the beginning of Big Bang. Just like modern science says the universe was created with two Bs, Big Bang, we say the universe was created, also created with two Bs, Bereshis Bara. In the beginning, God created. Why? Because before the Big Bang, before the words Bereshis, what was there? Nope, before that, <laughs> all there was was God. Before the Big Bang, all there was was God, infinite oneness, the letter Aleph. Welcome, Kate. After the Big Bang, after Hashem said, Bereshis, the letter base, multiplicity. In an instant, the Kabbalists explain, and the Nachmanides writes over a thousand years ago, that that first letter was an explosion of matter from a single speck of insight that from God's mind exploded the entire universe in the moment that he said, Bereshis. Okay, pretty amazing. Sounds very similar to the Big Bang. So 
The Torah is the process of going from nothing into something. The journey of the hidden mind of God into existence, into actuality, through the process of speech, of revelation. All right. So now. Now. The. This. From speech, from the explosion of something into nothing, that is the book of Beratius. Of Beratius represents the hidden speech of God, right? The Talmud says Beratius is the first speech of God, but it doesn't say and God said because there was no one to speak to. There was no existence at that time. So Beratius is the first word of God, but it's the hidden word of God. And that hidden word of God is reverberating throughout time. Just like the Big Bang. This is amazing. How did they discover the Big Bang? They found something called the red uh, factor, I believe. The red effect. I can't remember now. Which is a red shift. The, I, oh, some science guy, please, someone help me out here. Joe. Um, that they're, literally they see the reverberations of the Big Bang echoing throughout the universe. They see that the universe is expanding, but more than that, they actually can trace it back to a single point because God's speech is echoing throughout history, but it's hidden. It's hidden in nature. It's hidden in the world. We have to find it. We have to see through the illusion of this universe to, to get in touch with the fact that there's an intelligent designer. I just started reading a book um, called The God Hypothesis. The Return of the God Hypothesis um, by a guy named Meyer, not Jewish, who claims that modern science proves God's existence. And according to Rabbi Goldstein of Rage, it is the best book that he's ever read on the topic. Um, a lot of people today, uh, something there's they, in the footsteps of, uh, of Richard Dawkins, some, there's a group of scientists that can call themselves the New Atheists, who claim that science definitively disproves the existence of God's exist of God, but we have to recognize that there are other ways of looking at science, and their voices are not the only approach. There are many, many scientists who believe that there's much more than meets the eye, and on the contrary, that science actually shows us that there are so many unanswered questions, that God is often the best the best answer so i'll let you know after i read the book what the conclusion is but um so that's the book of bracious the book of bracious is the beginning of the process of god revealing himself to the world then we move on to the book what is the second book called of the torah second book is the book of shamos and shamos is the story exodus it's the story of the Jews' exodus from Egypt. Shamos actually means names. Names um, the, represent essence, according to Kabbalah. Names represent essence. And the word shame in Hebrew is very deeply connected to the word neshama. Neshama is your soul which is your essence. Your name is your address. It's your spiritual address. If I know your name, I can find you. I can look you up. I can communicate with you. The first part in the process of communication with other is addressing you, 
knowing your name. But on top of that, the word neshama, which represents soul, essence, is related to the word neshima, which means breath, your life force, your breath. Before I can talk, I have to begin to breathe. And the Talmud explains, the Zohar explains, that when God created all of creation, he created it with speech, talking. But when God created Adam, he didn't speak. Do you know what he did? He blew. He breathed. And the Zohar says when, one, when a person breathes or blows, it means he's blowing from his very essence, from your life force, from the deepest part within you. So Adam was made from a deeper connection to God than the rest of creation, from breath, from neshama, from name, from essence. The word, the Zohar explains that in Egypt, the koyach hadibor was in Gullus. What does that mean? The power of speech was really what was exiled in Egypt. The Jewish people, we were just an excuse. But what did it mean that the Jewish people were in exile, in slavery in Egypt? The Kabbalists explain it means that the power of self-expression was trapped in Egypt. We had to free the power of speech. We had to redeem the power of speech. That along with the Jewish people comes this unique gift of true human essence, which is the power of communication and speech. That coming out of Egypt was the power of speech itself. So it's, it's fascinating. God created the world with speech, and then he creates Adam. He blows into him the gift of speech. The uniqueness of our soul is that we also have the power to speak. Just like God creates worlds, we have the ability to create worlds. How do we create worlds? Through our speech. Through speaking to each other. We have the ability to uplift each other, to literally change lives. On the other hand, we can destroy lives with our speech. So that's the power of the experience of the Jewish people in Egypt. Our power of speech, the world's power of speech was in exile. When we got out of Egypt, we took with us the beginning of learning to use speech for what it's really meant to be used for. True human potential to create life with our mouth just like god does so this the journey of the torah begins in the book of voracious which is god's first hidden speech and goes into exile hidden the hidden faculty of speech the breath which is welling up within ready to be breathed potential to speak but not yet knowing how to use that potential and then we move on to the third book of the torah What is that called? The book of Vayikra, Leviticus. Leviticus is Latin. In Hebrew, it's called Vayikra. What does Vayikra mean? What's a kriya, Ronnie? A call. A call. The Torah takes us on the journey from hidden speech to breath to power of speech, which is hidden to now a voice, a call. Kriya is literally a call, a kol. The word kol in Hebrew, it means a call. When we read from the Torah, it's called kriyat ha-Torah, kriyas torah the call of the Torah. That's now a sound beginning to come out, but it's not yet fully expressed. And then we go 
from the book of Vayikra to the fourth book of the Torah. What is that called? Midbar, Bamidbar, which means literally in the desert. But there's an amazing thing about the word Bamidbar. It doesn't just mean in the desert. It actually has a double meaning. You know what it also means? Bamidaber, in speech. Dibor, the power of speech, is now the beginning of the process of the ability to form those words. That in Egypt, we didn't have the ability to speak. Our speech was cut off. We were in exile. Then it turns into a voice in the book of Vayikra and then goes into Bamidbar, which means the power of speech. And finally, the last book of the Torah, Devarim, words. Literally, the Torah is the journey of God's hidden essence, God's hidden mind coming out into tangible words with which we can now communicate and connect. The Torah is the process of God being hidden, coming into revelation, which is the purpose of creation, that we should have a connection and a relationship with the infinite. That's why we're here. That's why God did this whole crazy game of going from nothing to something, just that we can connect to him through the power of communication and speech. That's the journey of the Torah. And this book, the fifth book of the Torah, is the intermediary between the Torah in the desert and the land of Israel. The Jews going into the land of Israel. It's the in-between between Moses teaching over the word of God and when we get into Israel, becomes us giving over the word of God through what's called the Torah Shabal Peh, the Torah of the mouth, which is the oral Torah. All right, The Talmud is our Torah. It's our ability to create Torah, utilizing the system and the rules that were given at Mount Sinai, but through filtered through our human intellect. So this book is the go-between. It's the go-between between the spiritual world of the desert and the physical world of the land of Israel. And Moshe was getting people ready to enter into the land. It's the go-between between the Torah that God wrote, so to speak, and the Torah that we write, which is the oral Torah. Because this one was said by Moshe. It was... It's different from the other four books of the Torah. These are words that Moshe actually spoke, inspired by divine inspiration, but on a lower level of prophecy, making room for the journey into the land of Israel, which began with the prophetic, the, the prophets, and eventually led to the sages. And the Talmud says that a, a wise person is greater than a prophet. A prophet gets word directly from God. We've talked about previous, in previous weeks. They're literally downloading from the cloud. But a wise person, a Talmudic sage, is able to bring out the words of Torah from within the very text of the Torah, utilizing their own powers of intellect. And that's an even higher level. So we talked about in the beginning of the book of Numbers of, of Bamidbar, that the spies did not want to go into the land of Israel. They were afraid to enter into the land of Israel because they were worried about going into a physical existence. And 
they came back and they spoke negatively about the land of Israel. They were afraid that once we enter the land of Israel, we're going to lose the spiritual connection that we had in the desert, where we're eating bread from heaven, where we have direct word of God through Moshe. They said, when we go into the land of Israel, we're going to lose that connection to God. We're going to be on our own. That's what they thought. They said, we don't want to leave. We want to stay in the desert. And they spoke. What did they speak, Julia? When the spies spoke against Israel, what's that called? Lashon Hara. They spoke badly about the land of Israel. And the Talmud says, because you cried tears for no reason on that day, I'm going to give you a reason to cry forever. Do you know what day that was when the spies spoke badly about the land of Israel? Tishabav. On Tishabav, we used our power of speech for the wrong reason. And God says, forever. You're going to have to cry on that day, but that doesn't make sense. What a strange punishment. Because you didn't clean your room, you're going to have to live in a dirty room forever. Because you spoke, because you didn't cry, I'm going to make you cry forever? Is God a manipulative parent? That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound, it doesn't sound fair. Because you cried, I'm going to make you cry forever, forever on that day? So I want to share with you what I think the message is. So we go into the land of Israel and the purpose of the entire Torah is to bring us into Israel and to reveal God in the world through the Mishkan, through the sanctuary, and eventually through the temple to build a dwelling place for God below. That means to literally reveal God in the world, in the physical, not in the desert, in a spiritual existence, but in the physical, in farming and building cities and forming armies in running families and going to work, to work the land, to work in the office. Our job is to reveal God in the world, not in a spiritual existence, but in a physical resistance. That's ultimately what he wants, is to be revealed in the lowest places. So the question I have is, right? So we, we arrive in the land of Israel. We build the temple. We're doing great. And then first temple is destroyed. Why is the first temple destroyed? So there's different explanations. Talmud says, because we did three sins, we murdered, we did adultery, and we worshiped idols. It says, but ultimately there was something deeper going on. How could it be that we would do those things? Talmud says, because we didn't appreciate Torah properly by making a blessing over learning Torah. We didn't recognize the blessing of the Torah. We look at Torah as an intellectual pursuit. There are different explanations of what that means, but there's something that we weren't blessing properly. Comes the second temple. Temple's rebuilt. We get exiled to, to Persia, Babylon, Persia. Then they have the Purim story. We get back to the land of Israel. We build the temple again, and things are going great again, and then the Romans come and destroy the temple. Says the Talmud, why? Why was the temple destroyed for the second time? Does anyone know? Sinat chinam, which means baseless hatred. But the Talmud explains, what does that mean, baseless hatred? Says the Talmud, specifically, Julia, you must know this. We spoke. What is it? What do you do if you hate someone? Spoke Lashon Hara. We spoke badly about each other. We spoke badly about each other. 
cuz you go to so many you go to so many rage classes i figured you heard it already we spoke we spoke badly about each other and the temple is destroyed so so now we got to understand so we see we see that the town god forbid we see that the town that that the purpose of creation is that we should u- learn to utilize the power of speech to reveal the hidden thoughts of our mind in order to create worlds in order to give life just like god does god created the world in order to share with us therefore our job is to use speech for the right reasons when we utilize speech for the wrong reasons it causes destruction it gets us kicked out of the land of israel right but there's it destroys worlds but there's that's right pauses oh that is amazing she's a speech therapist i did know it i did know it. so speech destroys worlds and creates worlds but there's one other thing that i want to add in and that's that the Talmud says that we cried for no reason. We cried for no reason. Therefore, we have to cry forever. So what happens to thoughts that you can't express in words? What's even higher than words? What's a higher form of expression than speech? You ever have an experience that you just, it's so powerful. It's so emotional. From the most beautiful sunrise to the most incredible, joyous moments of your life, your wedding, having your first child, to the saddest, most painful experience. What's the connection? What's the connection between those two things? Is that it's so powerful, you can't express it in words. And so what comes out? Tears. Tears are even higher than words. Because words are the expression of the mind, but tears are the expression of the soul. When you connect to your soul, tears come out. And ultimately, when we cried in the desert, what Hashem is telling us is you have to cry forever on this day. Not as a punishment. You have to learn what tears are really for. Tears is to express something even deeper than words. Beyond words, the true language of the heart and of the soul. So the Torah is the journey of God's hidden speech going into breath, going into a voice, going into the power of speech, and finally going into words. But how does the Torah end? So there's a crazy, crazy thing. The Torah writes the last eight verses of the Torah writes about the death of Moshe. And the Talmud asks a question. How did Moshe write about his own death? Who wrote those last eight verses? So answer number one, the Talmud says, Yoshua, Joshua wrote those last eight verses of the Torah. Moshe's disciple. That's answer number one. Answer number two is that Moshe wrote those last eight verses. But how did he write them, says the Talmud? He wrote them with his own tears. He wrote them with his own tears. The Torah concludes with tears. And now I want to finalize this idea with one incredible, incredible idea. What's the last words of the Torah? Does anyone know? The Torah 
ends with the words le'ene kol Yisrael in the eyes of the entire Jewish people. In the eyes of the entire Jewish people, the last letter of the Torah is a lamed. The Talmud points out the first letter of the Torah is a base. If you put those together, you spell lev, which means heart. The goal of the Torah is that God's mind should go into speech and enter into our hearts. As it says that we say every single day in the Shema, Bahayu Hadavarim Ha'ela Al Lavavecha. These words, these Devarim should be on our hearts. We should place these words into our hearts that they should hit home, they should connect to our emotion and lead to action. The Kotzka Rebbe famously points out, I actually found this idea from the Kotzka Rebbe in this psychology book, therapy book. Oh, well, I'm blurry. Um, this, uh, this is a great book I use with a lot of my uh, therapy clients. One second, I'll show you. It's, uh, it's called the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. It's a great book. And this book, actually, in this book, there's a quote of the, I'll send it to you. In this book is a quote from the Kotzka Rebbe, famous Hasidic master of Poland, who says, why does the Torah say you should place these words on your heart instead of in your heart? So says the Kotzka Rebbe, an amazing idea. We can't force things into our heart. We can't get ourselves to really feel deeply about the things that we believe to be true. But what we can do is we can put the words on our heart. We can, we can meditate on the values and the goals that we believe to be true in this world. Put them on our heart. And says the Kutzker every, every once in a while, your heart breaks. And then the words fall in. And then they become part of you. And when something goes into your heart, it leads to action. So the Torah begins with Bereshis. And it ends with eyes. In front of the eyes of all of Yisrael. From speech to tears from hidden to revealed, from disconnection to connection, from the words going into our heart. And the goal is that we should internalize that relationship with God in every aspect of our life, that it leads to action. But the, there's another thing that I noticed, that the, the word voracious, uh, if you spell it out, uh, the letters, if you rearrange the letters, spell uh, Lee Roche, which means to me ahead, all right? And uh, I think I had another idea about that one second. Let's see if I could find it here. Oh, Kli LaRoche, a vessel for the head. The Roche, according to Kabbalah, represents the highest point of thought, the first spark of an idea to create the world that God had. And it ends with the heart, which is the vessel for that thought. It's the process of going from Chachma, which is God's hidden speech, into the vessel, which is the revelation in this world. That's very Kabbalistic, though. We don't need to go more into that. But literally, ends with the idea. It starts with head, with, with hiddenness, and ends with the eyes, which are the window to the soul. And that's why the soul is deeply connected to eyes. Because if you think about it, if tears are all about the heart, 
Why do they come out of your eyes? And the, the answer is because when you get clarity on something, when something really hits home, your eyes start to tear because it, you're literally seeing with your soul. So I want to bless you all with a beautiful Shabbos, beautiful end of the week. And for those of you who are fasting a meaningful Tisha B'Av, we should focus very much this Tisha B'Av on how to improve our relationships with others, how to eradicate negative thinking and negative language. The Everyone, every single stream of Jewish thought says that it's because of evil speech that we are exiled from the land of Israel, and it's through positive speech that we will bring the redemption and the messianic era. So we should all be blessed to utilize our speech for the right purposes and to utilize our tears for the right purposes, to connect ourselves, to connect to God and connect to each other in a meaningful way. Thank you guys so much for listening.